You're listening to Minding the Brain with Dr. Kim Hellemans and Dr. Jim Davies. Episode 20, Morning People and Night People. So Jim, I've heard that in order to be successful, you should get up really early in the morning. Can you tell me, is this true? I know you're an early riser, right? I'm a very early riser and arguably successful, but um, it's important to realize that not everything about successful people is a key to their success, right? So uh, just getting uh, the same haircut or wearing the same belt as a successful person isn't going to necessarily do it. Um, but there is a natural tendency to want to do that. But whenever you're reading about like interviews with the successful people, they'll say like, "What do you do in the morning?" You know, as though that's some, you know, super key thing. And um, you know, getting up early in the morning works for me, um, but it's not necessarily something that you should replicate because not everybody's a morning person. Right. Like there's people who are more likely to be night owls, right? So there's like the so-called morning larks, and then the the night owls. Is that accurate? Yes, yeah, they're uh, referred to as birds sometimes. Uh, I like morning people and night people, but yeah, sometimes they're referred to as uh, morning larks and night owls. And uh, another scientific word for it is called your chronotype, or chrono, chrono means time and type is, means type. And um, there's a current scientific theory about this and that there are three basic groups. You got the morning people and the night people, and then there's sort of an in-between group. Um, And I think that one of the reasons people say getting up early in the morning is good is because they get a lot of work done in the morning. Okay, you can do this very focused work. And in the morning, very early, like I get up at like five or six, there aren't very other many distractions going on. So your phone's not ringing. You don't have emails that are coming in. You can can get a lot done. Um, But if you think about it, the same thing can happen late at night. Right? People aren't calling you and emailing you as much late at night. They're either sleeping or having fun, usually. So if you are a night person, uh, you can get work done then. And a lot of successful people are night owls. They stay up very late, and they are undistracted, and they uh, do all their work late. Um, uh, some I know a guy who uh, you know, enjoys evening with his family, puts his kids to bed, and then works for three hours after, after everybody's in bed. So the, tr- the trick, though, if you're a night person is to not go out drinking Right <laughs> at night, but to actually use that uh, uninterrupted time to do the work. Oh, snap. Yeah, so I have heard that there are, I know some people who are quite night owls, and they do exactly what you're saying. They, they'll they have sort of like their evening with their family or whatever they, they need to be doing, and then they'll put in a whole other three or four hours of work. And I'm like you, I'll get up early in the morning, and I much prefer to uh, tackle a whole bunch of tasks first thing in the morning. But, you know, why... Why would there be this division? You know, why are they, what, evolutionarily speaking, is there a reason for why we would have different chronotypes? Uh, these evolutionary explanations are often very um, speculative. You know, it's very mm-hmm. hard to find evidence um, for, you know, why something would be uh, adaptive. But one idea that's out there is that um, in our, um, in the environment under which we underwent most of our evolution <clears throat> back when we were living as hunter-gatherer groups, the idea is that if everyone's asleep for like eight or nine hours a night at the same time, it makes the group very vulnerable, both to predators and to other groups of humans. Um, So the idea is that some people are naturally staying up late, some people are naturally getting up early, it reduces the amount of time that everybody's asleep. So that's that's just one idea that's out there, but it's... um, rather difficult to find evidence for that kind of thing. Well, that's interesting because I have heard that um, more males 
uh, males tend to be more likely to be night owls, whereas more females tend to be morning larks. So, you know, again, this is all speculative, but certainly if, you know, back in hunter-gatherer societies, males were, were doing more protective roles during the evening, that make m- more sense if they're um, protecting the clan or what have you during in the middle of the night. Make sense? Yeah, if, da- if nighttime is more dangerous than the morning. Fair. I mean, I have True. I have read accounts, uh, anthropological accounts, where when you attack another group, you do it before anybody wakes up. Mm. But you know, maybe that's because the men were up late. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, there are reports of like being afraid to leave your house to urinate because you're afraid you'll get shot with an arrow. And uh, some people just stay stay in bed until they hear other people moving about and they know it's safe. That's like how dangerous it can be. Wow, wow. Well, um, back, <laughs> a <lot of> diversion <laughs> there. Back to our cozy nest of Ottawa. Um, now, it, I'm, I, there are certainly people who, you know, they know, like I'm a morning person, and I'm, you know, people know that they're where they kind of fall in that range. Um, so, is that true? Like, are, is our own perception of what we are? Does that kind of? Yeah, I think most people have a good idea whether they're better in the morning or the evening uh, or somewhere in between. When you ask people for purposes of um, like a survey or something, often they'll ask them to calculate the midpoint of sleep. So if you go to bed at midnight and you wake up at 8, if that's like your natural sleep cycle, then your midpoint is 4 a.m. And they say if the midpoint is between midnight and 3, you're a morning person. If it's between 3 and 6 in the morning, you're in the middle. And if it's after 6 a.m., you're a night person. so uh, that that's how you s- are supposed to calculate it. But, you know, there's another thing is that not just gender differences, but people of different ages are yeah, there's a uh, di- diff- are morning and night people. Yeah, there's a, like I've seen this sort of developmental curve, right? So kids tend to be uh, morning people, right? Uh, now having had children, I know that uh, there is certainly a, a, a period of time where they're more likely to get up at like 4.30 in the morning and be like, I'm ready for the day! Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they go to bed very early, or they should. <laughs> and, <laughs> they, and then it changes, right? Yeah, yeah. it changes. So um, kids are definitely morning people. And then uh, in adolescence and into their 20s, uh, that that dissipates and they become night people. Um, I, You know, the, 8.30 is... I'm, I've been up for hours by 8.30, but, mm. uh, you know, our students, who, if, you have an, if we teach an 8.30 mm. class, a lot of them are just really not functioning very well. Um, and then in old age, they become morning people again. Even people become even stronger morning people than they were as kids. So the reputation of old people, you know, getting up like before dawn or whatever, is is uh, has truth to it. Yeah, it's 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 wild, and why they go for these 5 p.m. early dinner specials. Were, were you a night person in university? Oh gosh, no. Well, okay, so. I didn't go to bed be- probably before 3 a.m. my entire first year of university, um, <laughs> but that was mostly because I was socializing. I, but starting in second year and beyond, uh, I, I never pulled an all-nighter to study. I was I would I would rather go to bed at like 10 o'clock, and then I would get up at five o'clock in the morning. I was always like the first person to be at the at the library. So I think I've always been hardwired to be more of a morning hmm. person. What about you? I was I was um, a night person for a very long time. Uh, I remember in graduate school, for example, which was uh, in my mid twenties, I would uh, several times I would work until two in the morning and then go clubbing. Oh my god! For an hour or two and then go to bed. <laughs> Were they open that late? Where was the this? clubs? Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Oh. Atlanta. Oh, yeah. Atlanta, where the players play. Uh, Atlanta. So, 
Yeah, well, yeah, Hotlanta. My and, um, my husband and, and I, I, even when I was a professor, I was still up pretty late, and I would go dance. I did I did a lot of dancing when I was uh, a professor and single, so I would go dancing and. Um, and that's how I you met your wife. For, huh? Isn't that how that you met? That is how I met my wife. Yes, and then the dancing scene changed, and uh, and then they started scheduling classes at eight thirty a.m. for me. I thought that's what um, changed me, but uh, in, now that I know a bit more about the research, I think it also just might be an age-related thing. Now I regularly go to bed around 9.30 and get up between 5 and 6. Yeah, I think we're fairly similar. And my husband, Ryan, always jokes that I've always been lame because even when, so we were dating in grad school, we, we love going to see music, so we would go to concerts, which as you know, like if doors open at 7 or 8 p.m., that means th- there's always an opening act, there might be two opening acts, and by the time the, the main act comes on, it's usually 11 o'clock, and I would always be like, is it time? Can we go now? Yeah, can we go now? Um, So tell me a little bit more, because I know this is really, uh, I'm I'm fascinated knowing knowing what I know about you, uh, that you are aware of how your energy throughout the day and your fluctuations as to when you're more alert can have an impact on your, um, uh, how productive you are. So how can knowing your type help you? So your chronotype determines what part of the day is good for what kinds of things. Uh, so there are three, what do you say, phases of waking, and they're called vigilance, slump, and recovery. Mm-hmm. And the vigilance time is when you are really good at focused concentration, narrowly, uh, narrow problem-solving, detail kind of work. Uh, and for morning people, it's in the morning. And uh, for night people, it's in the uh, evening. And uh, then is the slump. Now, most people are in the slump at the same time, um, around 2 o'clock. So there are a lot more medical accidents in the afternoon. There are more car accidents in the afternoon. Like in almost every field where something important is on the line, there are just more screw-ups in the midday. And because our, the cult, our, my culture anyway does not really approve of napping, like it's um, very rare. Like if you work in the government, for example, they frown upon you sleeping for a half an hour at two. Uh, everyone just has coffee, but um, I know for myself, if I don't get my nap in the afternoon, I'm uh, useless for several hours, you know, so it's really not very good for productivity. And then around five and uh, six, like the early evening for morning people is what's called recovery, and that's the most creative time. So if you're a morning person, uh, you would do your creative work in the evening, and you would do your um, vigilance requiring work in the morning, and then in the, during the slump, you take a nap or do things that don't require a lot of brain power, like you know, answering emails and filling out paperwork and going shopping, hmm. uh, or that kind of thing. I like to exercise during the slump because it sort of gets me going. I actually kind of like teaching during the slump because it gets me energized, but I don't think it's good for learning because I think all the students are exhausted. <laughs> But it's good for me. <laughs> well, uh, minding the brain, listeners, I, I'll have you know that I, I'm aware of Jim's habits and he, and his 2 p.m. nap. And in fact, Jim's come over to my house sometimes uh, for I think brunch or lunch once, and I think you actually had a nap up in my guest room. <laughs> do you remember? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I don't looking... remember that specifically because I do it at everyone's house, so uh, it's yeah. just sort of <laughs> you were looking <laughs> dozy. So I was like, all right, <laughs> we brought you upstairs, and I you know, had, like, I'm such a, a baby. <laughs> swaddled you up. No. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, it, it's interesting, this observation that a lot of people do get kind of foggy headed in the afternoons. Um, and 
I don't know if you know that it relates to our diurnal cortisol rhythms. Did you know that? No. Do you, is, do you think chronotype is, is caused by different cortisol well, rhythms? Well, your, your chronotype, I think, will determine your diurnal cortisol rhythm. So what that means, diurnal, die twice, urnal, around a day, uh, it means that um, the fluctuation of one of our major hormones called cortisol, which is normally related to stress reactivity, but it's also related to metabolic activity, uh, it goes through peaks and valleys throughout the day. So as uh, given that we're non-nocturnal, so we're alert during the daytime, we have what's called a diurnal cortisol rhythm. And what that means is, is cortisol kind of goes up right first thing in the morning as we're trying to kind of get ready for the day and start to eat. And the, the rise of cortisol will change depending on your chronotype. So for you and I who get up early, we're starting to get that uh, rise in cortisol around five or six in the morning, where somebody who's getting up later, it'll be later. But then cortisol goes up, then it kind of stays steady, and then there's a dip right around three or four in the afternoon. So cortisol is actually at its lowest, which means that we're less, we, we do want to have a nap. We want to lie down, we want to kind of rest, and then it'll go up again right around dinner time, and then it's at its lowest point, or it's nadir in the evenings. So that's that slump, that foggy head of feeling is, is very real, and it relates to our our, our biochemistry or hormones. Mm-hmm. So what? So you say you take a nap. Um, you're saying sometimes doing things that don't require a lot of thinking, maybe answering emails. Like, what if you have to be alert? Like, is it just you just kind of? Well, the nap does a lot of good for the slump. I mean, right. I, I I feel like if I can just take a half an hour nap or a half an hour of sleep time and 20 minutes of napping in it probably mm. right you have to fall asleep and wake up um almost almost removes the slump entirely for me but you know your mileage may vary i think that to the extent to which you have control over your day um you can you can try to schedule your tasks around it if you are stuck in a nine to five job um and you can't you know can't get your nap for whatever reason um then i would try to schedule things for that time that you know don't require vigilance or creativity for, for specifically. But good advice for our listeners would be to try to sort of pay attention to their natural, uh, like know your type, first of all, and then pay attention to when you are your most alert and maybe schedule tasks around those periods. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, if you're a business owner, um, you know, either you might have a tendency to want to force all of your employees to act on your schedule. And, you know, you should know that that's not how you're going to get the best performance out of your employees. I mean, there's some benefit to having everybody in the office at the same time. But you got to understand that there's a cost to having night people uh, trying to do vigilance requiring things early in the morning. Because for the night people, they start off in the slump, then they go into recovery, and then they're vigilant uh, late at night, right? Mm -hmm. So um, companies that try to let people work when they want, and they, people usually select working that is more in line with their chronotype, um, end up having happier, more productive people. Hmm. But, you know, this is all well and good if you can create your own hours, like you're, if you are a business owner. But the reality is most of the world seems to be kind of geared towards early morning starts, right? Like, it seems like we are kind of have this bias to uh, to be towards morning people because, you know, jobs start around 8.30 or 9. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely like a tyranny <laughs> of the majority going on here. Um, most people are morning people, so the world is set up for that. It's a... Uh, 
it's like being uh, le- uh, being a night person is a little bit like being left-handed. You're in a world that uh, <laughs> is not made for you. <laughs> uh, if you're a night person, uh, you're going to be less productive in the morning. Um, and uh, you know, if for teenagers, for example, we often think that they're lazy. We call them lazy because they like to sleep late, right? But they're actually productive. Uh, far into the night, well, they can be productive. <laughs> After most of us are asleep, we just don't see them, right? They might be playing video games or whatever. Um, but, you know, there's this perception that teenagers are lazy and they just want to sleep all the time. It's funny how we, like many of us, forget that we were exactly like that when we were teenagers and it wasn't laziness. It was just, you know, they're just, it's just a natural, um, it's just their natural rhythm for their age, right? Um, there's a great book on sleep I finished reading recently called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. It's a fabulous review of the research and very eye-opening about that kind of thing. And, yeah, so speaking of, like, teenagers, obviously their uh, their sleep needs are because the brain at that period of time is going through rapid remyelination and rewiring of critical parts of the frontal lobe. So the sleep needs are very real. And it is kind of ridiculous that we're, in fact, forcing teens to get up and get out of bed early for school, right? So a lot of schools start early. My kids' school, their bell rings at 8.05. Now, mind you, they're still little, so it's it's okay. Um, But I know there are some movements to get like later start dates for high schools. Is that true? Yeah, so. It's totally true. And uh, school starts ridiculously early. And um, there is like a significantly large increase in grades hmm. that you can get just by starting school later. Starting school at like nine or nine thirty or something. You can. That's like the cheapest, easiest way to just raise grades at a school. Like you don't have to <laughs> do anything. That's that's how much of a big deal it is. Um, it's very hard for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, school is sort of set up for parents' convenience. There are unions for the bus drivers. There's, there are all kinds of reasons that it's difficult. Um, you know, after-school activities would have to go very late. Um, you know, but, you know, it, it really is, is bad. If you're a morning person as an adult, um, asking your teenage kid to perform and learn at 8 a.m. is really a lot like asking you to get up five days a week at 3 o'clock in the morning and and function at at uh you know at capacity so yeah it's really kind of a it's a problem for grades but also the kids are just getting underslept because if they're night people they just cannot they just often just cannot fall asleep or if they're given their own way they stay up late and then then they're just sleep deprived and chronic sleep deprivation is just terrible for a host of reasons. It's medical problems and cognitive problems and everything else. In fact, what I've heard, there's some really fascinating, da- fascinating data that shows that it's actually worse for an individual's health if you're forcing them to go outside of their, to work outside of their chronotype. So in terms of your circadian rhythms and all mm. all your cells are attuned to certain periods of time, right? That chronotype is there because there are critical genes that regulate proteins uh, that are involved in your circadian rhythm. And so you're, you're, you're upregulating the production of certain genes at certain times of the day and silencing them at other times of the day and so on and so forth. And they've demonstrated that somebody who is really a, a very much an early morning person and you're forcing them to be a night owl or vice versa it actually has health consequences. Um, and I recently read another paper that um, people who are more likely to be evening or night owls also uh, tend to have higher BMIs. 
so they're more likely to have um, what that means is they're more heavy. Uh, they they have more fat around uh, fat deposits around their stomachs, and it's hard to know what where there's where's the direction of the causality. But it seems like people that are uh, night owls tend to eat bad more bad food, right? So again, okay. we don't know if it's because it's the middle of the night, you know, what's easy, fast food, snacks, nothing much is open. Or if something else is, is driving the, the, the direction well, of that. Well, I, I mean, I do know that sleep deprivation causes you to eat more junk food. So right. it, it, to the extent that night owls are forced into a morning owl um, schedule, they're going to be sleep deprived. And that, that right there would predict um, eating the wrong kinds of foods. Dang. Yeah. So, and I also, I've heard morning people are more likely to be athletic, right? So they're more likely to, to be runners. Runners tend to be morning people. So again, it speaks to this sort of, like you were saying, um, bias to the masses that uh, this, this health, these health related behaviors tend to be among right. morning people, which, you know, so do you have any advice if you're an evening or night owl and you're listening to the show, what, what can you say? What, what would you? Well, first, I mean, first of all, you know, the sleep thing is really a big deal. So if you really should be getting enough sleep, and, and it probably means um, eight hours for most people, a few people need a little bit less, a lot of people need a lot more. Um, and you know, if you can uh, schedule your life or pick your career or whatever, that mm -hmm. would allow you to be in line with your chronotype. It's really, it would be great. I, I do have one anecdote I wanna share from the Why We Sleep book that I think is really fascinating. You know how doctors are required to um, work these incredibly long hours while they're in residency and mm -hmm. they have these really long shifts. Um, that was actually invented by someone who was on cocaine. What? So the man, the man who sort of put that into place and said doctors need to do this and whatever, and, and he, you know, was, was actually, nobody knew it, but he was a coke addict. and. Uh, would he was always on cocaine, which is why he was able to stay up for enormous amounts of time. And we are still suffering from the legacy. No. Is yes, that actually that's in the true? Why We Sleep book. Yeah, it's in the Why We Sleep book. Because, so I've heard other arguments that the reason that these doctors have these long shifts is because if you look at the, the uh, disease progression or illness progression across a very short window of time, you may only capture one piece of the so-called puzzle. Whereas if you follow a patient from when they're admitted to... 24, 30 hours later, you're more likely to see the fluctuations in, in biophysical states that may be more uh, amenable to diagnosis. So I don't know. That, I mean, that might be a that might be one of the benefits of how it's working now. Right. But th that was not the reason. That's not how it started. Okay. Right? So and then there was a study that that showed that first year, like they did a study of like first year residents and showed like their cognitive declines were oh precipitous and people were making. Yes terrible mistakes like doctor error is one of the leading causes of death and and so um, I think it was the American Medical Association changed the rules for first-year students but they didn't for the later ones because the study was only on first-year students as though uh, they, after, after a year the medical students were immune to sleep deprivation. <laughs> oh my gosh so Canadian Medical Association pay attention and kids don't do cocaine. This episode of Minding the Brain was edited by me Mike Contos, and brought to you by the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences and the Faculty of Science at Carleton University, and made possible, in part, by the Frontal Lobe, allowing the planning necessary to pull off podcast production. Theme music for Minding the Brain is plucked 
by Michael Terry. More episodes and show notes available at mindingthebrainpodcast.com.